Hello, Galahad, Lancelot, sorcerers, sorceresses, witchers, dwarves, elves, and hobbits. Welcome to Vassals of Kingsgrave, where today we'll be talking about Lady of the Lake, the fifth novel in The Witcher Saga by Andrzej Sapkowski. My name is Kevin. I am Uncle Kevin on the Discord, and today I'm joined by Bing. Hi, uh, uh, there was a once upon a time in which I was Shushiner. But I'm mostly just being now. Katie? Yep, I was Lady Griffin a long time ago (laughs) on a forum far away, but yeah, just Katie. Technically, the forum is still there, even if no one uses it. No, it's been been wiped out, isn't it? There's just nothing left. Oh, is it gone? Our history is gone. It was all fake history drawn by a moody elf anyways. Um. (laughs) Hi, this is Kevin from the Outdoor Editing Room. To tell you that we misspoke, the forums are up and fully operational, and all the old threads are there. So go enjoy them. Marie? Hi, Ed, it's Marie Nymeria uh, on, in the Vassals of Kingsgrave community. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> and David. Hi, David. I was David HHH and whatever. Um. <laughs> You're that on Discord, too, aren't you? Am I? Okay. Yeah, I think I am. Okay, so I'm still David HHH. <laughs> we transitioned oh my to Discord a year ago. No, not friends. quite a year not... ago. Like it, was, um, it was in July or something. It was July, so, yeah. Yeah, by the time this releases. Uh, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> um, and we still, uh, community, um, struggle <laughs> to figure out how to introduce ourselves. Um, yeah, we have identity issues, clearly. Um We don't know who we are. We don't. Today we'll be discussing the first half of Lady of the Lake, um, chapters one through six. As always, we like to start with our overall feelings and uh, give a rating for this half of the book. David has made a note that it's actually 43% of the book. (laughs) I I wasn't going to interrupt you to say that. In the first six chapters. So if you're on if you're on your Kindle, you'll notice that you're at forty three percent completion when you finish chapter six, and that's okay. Uh, I mean, I think once again, like I mentioned in the in the last episode, I'm of our Witcher reviews that I'm kind of beyond a little bit of uh, the ratings that like forced me to give one. I guess somewhere around three point five. Um, I actually, so I know there's be, there, there's there's going to be some discussions about chapter five, the the, the series chapter, right? <laughs> uh, the, the primary series chapter, which I, I, I understand that that's a difficult chapter to read. Um, I actually found the some of the other chapters to be ones that I didn't really feel like having to reread again, <laughs> like the the the, the, the series uh, chapters. I know what they're there for. I know the purpose is just. The, the large part of it is just really boring to read. Right. <laughs> that has always been my complaint about this or that section. But so that means I actually have probably something to say about those chapters when I get to them. Um, I think this is, this is sort of the, the same problem. The same problem as the, the first half of the last book, in which is yeah. set up to the actual fun stuff that's going to happen at the end of this book. Um, yes, yeah, so like the last three books we've had have all been like blah for the first half, and then everything happens later. Well, I mean that's kind of I, I mean that's kind of how books work. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, you, you build things up and then you 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 hit a, and then you reach the climax and then 
resolutions and so on. But um, I mean, I mean, typically how books work. I mean, I, 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 and, but I do think that there are some sort of these um, and should I say ancillary chapters where build up chap, uh, chapters can be a little bit of a slot. Yeah, and I mean, the all of these novels are very much novels. I guess when we first read Blood of Elves, I thought, oh, maybe it's just one big story. But then once we sort of got into the subsequent books, they seem to all be much more. I mean, it is a linear story, but I mean, you wouldn't a, just read the third book yeah. on its own. It, right. it wouldn't. It's definitely part of it of something. But I mean, it somewhat stands alone, you know, as a story yeah, well, with a beginning, a middle, it, and an end. Each each book. Exactly. Yeah. The first couple I well, thought every... Blood of Elves and Time of Contempt kind of had peak chapters in weird places, and yeah. um, especially Blood of Elves, like in the whole last chapter is very like calm and nothing happens. Nothing right. happens. Right. So I think it, he kind of got away from that and had each book Wisely. a little more, a little more um, of its own full story mm-hmm. as it went on. So, uh, three and a half. Do we have a a uh, unit of measurement? How about angry unicorns? Here we go. Yeah, yeah that's pretty good. <laughs> I'll give it. it are we, is this a scale of five or ten? Five. Five Usually. normally, okay. but if you want to go to ten. I'll get well, it. Let's not go crazy. You always, you always um, ask questions like we have rules. There's no rules. I, <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> it's my anxiety. Um, uh, I'll give it five out of five angry Ooh. unicorns. Uh, this is my favorite book in the series. I'm enjoying it. I think much more on a reread than the first time. I remember the first time being very frustrated with feeling like not quite understanding why certain thing, scenes were being shown and not being able to parse where the story was going. Um, but on a reread, I'm actually quite impressed with the way that this novel is laid out. Uh, and yeah, I really love this book and I'm excited to talk about it. I have no idea what I want to rate it. I'm going to say... <laughs> Four angry unicorns. I, I really have an issue with the, the whole series, I think, because I found it very compelling to read, but I think at the end of it, I just don't like the story. Mm-hmm. I don't like how it ends. I don't like how uh, what it made me feel on the way, and, and I'm not sure... Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure I really... I really like everything it um, it, it says. Um, I probably agree with a lot of it and a lot of the social and political points of it, but I think that's why I've, I've been not as engaged as I as I might be in in this reread, meaning that I actually did a reread because <laughs> I've read this <laughs> a couple of months ago. Anyway, this book specifically was. I think I'd probably say that it's my favorite as well because it's it was just flowing like I read it in a couple of nights I think um, and it it was it was really like amazingly written. I have no idea what we were stopping today so I'm not gonna say any specifics. Um, but it was actually really confusing at first like the whole we ended on such a, a big note that the the mm-hmm. previous book and then we get we get Siri just chilling kind of and we're like okay (laughs) what (laughs) sorry pardon me (laughs) but um in in the end in the end it made sense which is at least something right so yeah that's it for me 
Who's next in order? Is it me? I'm not sure. That's you. <laughs> okay. That's you. <laughs> Figures. I'm going to give it four, but I'm going to change it to four whores to end all whores. <laughs> or four really bad puns, because there's a bunch of them. Um, but either way, but most of that actually for me is for that really awkward Siri chapter, because I thought most of the rest of it was eh, but that chapter as weird and awkward as it is was actually really compelling and a lot happened in it and of all six chapters that's pretty much the only one in which things happened and plot moved forward so that's going to be most of why i liked it um but all in all i mean i like these characters now even when we get you know a chapter of Geralt just Geralt and the gang hanging in town for a whole winter it, it, it's still enjoyable to read even if i wished more had actually happened until the last few pages of his chapter, but <laughs> but I'm liking it. I I think I'm probably gonna go like three and a half angry unicorns for the first half of this book. A lot of it's very very well written, and it I think I'll see what happens in the second half. I've read at this point through chapter eight, very hard to read, and I think that was just because of some of the situations that were that arose. I thought. Siri with the elves to me was the hardest Siri stuff to read. Just it's just hard not to feel awful for her. Like the whole situation was just so messed up, and she was so trapped, and they were so abusive to her in terms of telling her she was lesser than them and she could never escape them and all all of those things. I mean, just basically, I mean, it was almost like she was a sentient like breeding animal. Was basically how they treated her. And that was just hard to, to read, and I was very happy she escaped them, even though I right. didn't have much doubt that she would. But I thought the, the Geralt chapters were pretty fun. I know that they seemed boring to some folks, but I don't know, Geralt actually having a little bit of a love interest and kind of wondering how long he can stay safe in this little enclave and if there was something more nefarious lurking beneath all those things I thought were made it a fun little little chapter couple chapters to read and then the jarring one i actually think was good too i think it was a good amount of kind of world building and getting away from the main characters for a little bit and just seeing what was up in the world it's just interesting how the story went from so focused on a few characters to then not just affecting the whole world but affecting like dimensions and timelines mm-hmm. and everything mm-hmm. else like it just if you have a computer that's lagging and you're trying to change your zoom on excel and it's like you can only go from like 400 percent to <laughs> to like yeah. to 50 percent you're like i just want a size i can read and see most <laughs> of it and it's just like that that toggle happening between just extremely grandiose all yeah. time issues and smaller issues so it was nice for the jarry chapter to just sort of like go into standard like real world size political issues so (laughs) yeah i mean did any of us really think that you know after reading the other books that we'd end up with like alternate dimensions and universes and time travel and all that like it didn't feel like that's where this this series was going but here we are (laughs) yeah it's interesting to compare Sapowski to George because George is just so limiting, intentionally, like intentionally so, of limiting his point of view and the and what kinds of information 
he allows the reader to have, whereas Sapowski's just uninhibited. He's like, I'm going to go, I'm going to break the fourth wall, I'm going to have these very meta references, I'm going to create framing devices that allow me to jump through time and space and in characters' heads, and it's very, it's just a very different kind of story and a very different kind of storytelling that is frequently fun and very surprising. Yeah, yeah. I didn't expect to see Camelot in here. <laughs> yeah, like, like, how did we get here? <laughs> oh, that's cool, right? But that's cool. Right? Not in a bad way. Not in a bad way. Gus is much more of a whimsical uh, writer to me. There are some things that he wants to talk about. And he just talks about them. He works them in, in, in the story, and it works. And that, that's the amazing thing. Like the, the plot. What I mean, again, it sounds crazy when you just think of, uh, from 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 the outside looking in, but it makes sense within the plot, and that's what I really enjoy about these books yeah it doesn't feel jarring good word sorry now whimsical i think is the good Mm -hmm. word yeah yeah Yeah, it didn't feel jarring you know like it might have (laughs) it felt jarry hey (laughs) in the audiobook it's pronounced yara yeah Yeah. oh am i gonna have to re-pronounce my entire chapter <laughs> summary. Oh, I was wondering why it was written as Asha in the book. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yeah. The audiobook is, is really good, but I have no idea how, how any of these names are spelled. Uh, like, Con Weiramures, that's just like my southern accent. Like, Con Weiramures, I can't even say it properly. It's, it's coronavirus. Just like it's coronavirus. Yeah. Every time I was reading that chapter, every time her name came up, my mind just said coronavirus. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Take us away, Katie. Cool. All right. We open the book with Sir Galahad hearing a lovely voice singing. He follows it and finds a naked woman bathing in a lake. Seeing him, she grabs a sword and dives into the water to protect herself. After clearing up that she is not, in fact, the Lady of the Lake or from the realm of Fairy, they chat on the shore, and Ciri tells him that she came to his world from Rivia on a boat, and that the blood on her clothes is from the friends who died in her arms. She says she'll tell him the whole story, but warns him that it won't have a happy ending. We then cut to the second chapter. A woman, Conwermures, an Oniromancer, <laughs> that's what she's called, uh, a dream yes. mage, basically. Uh, she's being rowed to an island inhabited by the actual lady of the lake, Nimue. Nimue is obsessed with the legend of Siri and wants Conwermers to use her dream scrying abilities to uncover missing details in the story. Nimue says that the reason for her obsession has to do with an incident that occurred when she was 18, but doesn't say what the incident is. Using Nimue's gallery as a, of historical paintings as a focus, Conwermers is able to peer into the past and into the private lives of certain characters. She sees the Wolfguard having a conversation with the fake Siri and surmises that the fake Siri was probably killed and eventually replaced with the real one. She has a steamy dream of Geralt having an affair with an unknown woman in Toussaint. She then has another dream of Yennefer still being tortured and imprisoned in Vilgefortz's oh. tower. Vilgefortz tells Yennefer that Siri and Geralt Geralt are dead, but Yennefer does not believe him. Bonart is also there, and he Ooh. torments Yennefer and <laughs> almost rapes her. And Kamirmirs wakes up annoyed that Geralt was fucking around while all this awful shit was happening to Yennefer. <laughs> uh, right. Nimue advises her to not be judgmental. Connie has one more dream of Geralt stalking a monster in a cave and wants to call out to him but cannot. 
So these two chapters, yeah, the the King Arthur stuff is really surprising and fun. I I actually mm-hmm. have like an encyclopedia of Arthurian legend stuff right here, and cool. all of these like Camwear Mirrors is a like a minor figure in Arthurian really? lore. She's Percival's know. wife. Oh. Um, but yeah. it's just weird. Like these characters, they're not really playing the roles that they would in legend, except for maybe Galahad. He's on his Grail quest. But like the Fisher King, like. <laughs> I guess he's not really a king. He's just like a dude who who like fishes. For, for, <laughs> right. Like, yeah, for Nimue yeah. and like, literally. Like, yeah, supplies her with uh, sex from time from time to time. But I really love this framing device. I think it's just a very mm-hmm. clever way to to have an excuse to to dive into people's heads and like get answers for for situations that we wouldn't have otherwise mm-hmm. have, while also creating a lot of mystery. I was curious what y'all make of the conversation between Emir and and fake Arya here, because um, <laughs> it's actually the, that viewpoint is actually like really fascinating to me because like I can't remember like is this the first time we've had like is, like an insight into his head like a POV from him? He sort of has like him his perspective a little bit when he's talking about how useless all of his ministers are, <laughs> especially uh, Vatier, the Redier, and Skeldon, but like. I think this is the first time in which the book tried to get us to sympathize with him. <laughs> yeah, he's he's conflicted, right? He's angry at himself because he feels guilt. <laughs> like, I think there's mm-hmm. even a line that's like, he apologizes and the words were, like, I'm sorry, and the words were in, unfamiliar to him. <laughs> like a, a real piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's, 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 it's a great, I think, it, it's a great addition. And and it really like it, it it's not it's absolutely not necessary for the storytelling, mm-hmm. but the fact it's there is just so it, it's just it's just awesome. I like how meta the whole framing device is. You know, it's like it could be us reading the book or you know, historians. I I just think it's a neat twist in how we see these books and the idea that you know this is going to be you know history and legend and how unreliable those are and i do like kind of the idea of like looking at pictures or reading about something and then having dreams that actually tell you what happened mm-hmm. we have we definitely have dreams we have many characters in these series having dreams and in some cases they're reliable and in most cases they're reliable but maybe not all of them mm. but we just assume at this point that they are and, and the things she's dreaming really happened, and then we see some of it happen. So, <laughs> it's it's an interesting way to go from like, here I'm dreaming about this, to then we actually get it from that character's point of view. It happening. It, it's it, the first time it happened, it was a little jarring, but I liked it, and and then I grew to like it even more as it happened more and more. It's also a way to set expectations for where the story is going. Mm-hmm. He's being very telling. He's saying the story is not probably not going to have the happy ending you expect it to, mm-hmm. and. Conwermeers even says that she loved the story of Siri as a kid, but she prefers stories that have a happy ending. Right. Yeah, it's a way of leading us while also just leaving question marks like about like what happened to fake Siri, like what happened right. there. Yeah, there's just it's it's very deftly done. I I will say that I really like the <laughs> I think my favorite part of this chapter is that Conwermeers just is so horny, like that she's like yeah. <laughs> starting to have, like she's, like lusting after the. Fisher King. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, 
And and on your idea of you know what you were saying about how setting expectations. On one hand, I mean, we have a feeling that it's not going to end well for Siri and Geralt and all them, but we know that you know theoretically, at least according to prophecy, this story is supposed to end with like a cataclysm that like destroys Earth and all the people of it, and you know, and clearly that didn't happen because well, because we're studying it. So I mean, maybe it could happen after the stuff with coronavirus, but, <laughs> you know, but, but clearly well, it seemed like, you know, the whole fate of the, of the whole world and the universe is at stake, especially when you get to like series chapter later. And yet clearly that hasn't happened. So I can't remember who says this, the chapter where one care, the older character says to the younger one about the world's getting colder and there's like, but it's going to be like 3000 years before they actually, destroys everything so it seems like there's some level where that's still a risk except that siri and her offspring who we assumed was her immediate child but but maybe you know thousands of years in the future was supposed to kind of head that off so clearly theoretically it should be sometimes relatively soon you know in the life of her child at least although i guess if she's part elf and if the offspring is part elf it might be hundreds of years who knows but (laughs) either way I think the interesting thing that you mentioned here, that the fate of the universe, that the book is perfectly fine and you should just let you know that, that, didn't have, that the world didn't end. Right. Because that's not the point. That's not the point, right? If you don't, that's normally not actually what you really care about. You, normally, normally in a book be, like this, it would be. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> yeah, but instead the real thing, important thing is stuff like Geralt. Uh, what happened to Geralt? What happened to Yennefer? What, did, what, what Siri actually did, right? Uh, what experiences she had. Uh, ultimately, that's and, to, and it comes back to that that you have all those big things happening, wars, ca- uh, universal cataclysms. Mm-hmm. But in the end, what really matters are these these characters who ultimately is just sort of they play an important role, but they don't play they, they play a small role. But you that's who you care about. Yeah, there's a lot of discussion about fate and prophecy and whether it's passive or active. Right. Um, and the story seems to come down the side that it's active. Another thing, like, I found Yennefer's story, like, the hardest part to read mm-hmm. of all this, because mm-hmm. she's obviously the person who is suffering the most. <laughs> and also just makes Geralt's behavior seem, like, just doubly atrocious. Right, right. Because <laughs> he's having this very tender pillow talk, and meanwhile she's almost getting raped in a jail cell. and It's rough. Though, to be fair, he doesn't know about it. <laughs> sure. In fact, like, he thinks she's already dead, most likely, so... Yeah, their relationship is has not always been exclusive. So, right, as right. the story tells us, we should not judge. <laughs> right, right. I mean, if you think, what, what, it is interesting though that how like you know traditionally in a in a fantasy story like this, the point would be: Are we going to save the world? Are we gonna are our heroes going to save the universe, the world, whatever? And ultimately, it feels like that doesn't matter. It's just what's going to happen with with Siri and Geralt and and Yennefer and all of them. You know, traditionally, you know, I mean, yeah, you've got the personal, but it's always about like a heroic journey to, you know, have a heroic saving of the of everything. And, and that's not what this story is about, even though it hints that it might be. I think it's another example of Sapkowski trying to, you know, subvert the tropes of the of the field. Yeah, It's almost like literally he's just testing his own bounds. He's like, can I get people to care enough about my main characters that I can do 
I can get rid of all other tension. I can do all kinds of just craziness. I can let them know that the big issue of the world ending not going to be there, but still have people nervous and worried. Because it's just – it's all very interesting. I mean he kind of did the same thing with with Nilfgaard in a way. Like you think – when I think of how I thought of Nilfgaard during the – during the um, – I don't call them novellas or the the anthology books and during short Blood stories. of El. Yeah, we can call them short stories while we're here. I like that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, you know, during those books and during Blood of Elves and then how it's almost just fizzled with them. You know, mm-hmm. like Nilfgaard just felt like less and less of a threat as these books have gone on. You know, there's more to come in the second half of the book on Nilfgaard, but in general, you don't feel like they're this unstoppable force. Mm-hmm. You know, that that feeling went away by like the middle of Baptism of Fire or yeah. something like. I, I sorry, no, go ahead. Finish what you're saying, but then I'll say it. Well, just that those forces change and disappear, but it's still the main characters that you're connected to and care about and are invested in. Right. I thought it was interesting that, like, you know, it felt like, you know, Nilfgaard was the all-encompassing, like, evil with the, you know, the Emperor's going to stop everything, and, and they're the big threat. And now in, you know, the last book of the series, we, we've got, like, conspiracy to kill him. <laughs> it's like, we've gone from, like, they are the e- Sauron or whatever to, like, oh, he's just a guy we're going to kill and replace. And it's kind of an interesting twist. Where I would have expected it to go. Sorry. If there's nothing else, which I'll like to move along to Siri and the elves. I I'm actually just like re-listening to to your summary and and uh, just getting back into the book. I realize how little I understood when I first read it and how like how I didn't get back to it at the end. Like. Um, it, I didn't think, oh, that's what it was, or oh, that's when it happened. And I think <laughs> I just I didn't uh, put the pieces together and and put the chronology in in order at the end of the book where I I, I could have I guess, but um, I think I'm not really cut out for that kind of storytelling. Um, <laughs> but I mean, <laughs> like I enjoy it when I read it, kind of. But afterwards, I'm like. Wait, what? <laughs> what happened? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when did this happen? <laughs> I should actually re-re- reread it because I, I think I might enjoy it m- more. Um, I will try to do that before we read the <laughs> end of it. <laughs> sure. Well, you got one more chance. <laughs> yeah. Alrighty. So... Siri, having escaped from her pursuers into the Tower of the Swallow, Siri realizes that there's no escape. She takes out her fury on Avalok, who reminds her that elves have a different view of time than her. He then tells her that the elves want her to have a baby, and that this baby will have the elder blood and will be imperative to stopping the cataclysm that presumably will fuck a lot of stuff up or, or, or something. Um, Siri is understandably pissed. She doesn't want to do it. No one cares. While they are riding through the countryside, they encounter a herd of aggressive unicorns. Elven riders led by an elf named Aridin scare the unicorns off. 
Aerid and Neg Siri, and the gang rides to the palace. Siri is introduced to the would-be father of her child, Oberon, or Oberon, the sad weird. He's a sad weirdo who likes to blow bubbles. <laughs> Siri tells Oberon that she just wants to get back to her friends, but Oberon reminds her that she needs to fulfill the prophecy by having a child, and that if she does, the elves will save everyone, including the humans. Siri slowly becomes resigned to her fate, but to her frustration, Oberon doesn't seem able to do the deed, or at least unwilling to. <laughs> Avalok tells Siri that Oberon is being patient with her, to which Siri, stung, throws Lord Laura Dorn uh, back in his face. Avalok freaks out and reveals that she was his lover long ago, and that she was taken from him by Cranog. <laughs> Again, <laughs> like this is me guessing on some of these names. It's cool. None of us yeah, know. Good. That's good. Cranog. No, yeah. it's good. You got it right. Siri has a number of disturbing encounters in the meantime, including finding out that the gray servants in the palace are in fact human. She eventually finds a way to escape by it when she runs into the herd of unicorns in the forest, including Little Horse, the unicorn she saved in the desert. The unicorns do not want the elves to have mastery in space of time, so they are willing to aid in her escape. Siri rather stupidly decides to say goodbye to Oberon and finds that he is dying of a possible poisoning? Question mark? She manages to escape. Aridan bonks his head on a bridge like a dork. And that's <laughs> right. <it. laughs> right. What a great ending for him. <laughs> <laughs> it's very satisfying. Yep. Yeah. I actually so, was quite fond of this chapter, but as I understand, some people yeah. were not so much. So go right. ahead. I, I agree. Continue. But Go ahead, Bang. Isn't there still more of this? Oh, chapter? yeah. So, no, sorry. I just wanted. I just, so, I, earlier, when I pointed out, I think in some earlier chapters pointed out, there are, there are elves. And then there are other kind of elves. Right. And that's what I, I was trying to say. These are the other kind of elves. And these guys are fucking assholes. Yeah, they're the Ain-El? Or the Ain-Sheen are the ones that are stuck in the human world. These are the yeah. high, like high elves, I guess. Yeah. And they look down on everybody, including the other elves. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they basically treat them like slaves. Yeah, they are, I mean, it's a good reveal that they turn out to be just these bloody imperialists who are parasitically stealing worlds from other people. Like the reveal of the boneyard and like, oh, yeah, this world didn't belong to them. Right, they just right. took it. Yeah, that was and good. Yeah, and they're probably not going to benevolently <laughs> save the other elves and humans. They just want this power so that they can move on. Did we interrupt your summary? No, I was done. Oh, okay. Siri gets away. That's the end. Right. Well, just because there was a whole bunch of stuff at the end with the unicorn, so I just wasn't sure if you skipped yeah. it. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I yeah, there's some, like... there's, sorry, there's some yeah. finer detail in there that the unicorns also have the ability to travel space and time, and they are apparently, like, at war, like, uh, they have some beef with the elves that I was unclear on where, mm-hmm. where that came from, um, but yeah. The names yeah. of the, the unicorns are... And right. If I tried to write it, I, yeah, would, I would not do it. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't. Oh, we are a wreck. <laughs> let's let's I... stick with Little Horse. <laughs> right, right, right. Little Horse, yes. <laughs> so I, um, I actually like this chapter. It is horrific to read, but you still get some some adventure. Like when, you, when you accept the whole okay they took her he- took her there to like right, right. yeah um and the whole weird place where she is um 
it is a simple story of her being kept there against her will and trying to escape. And you've got these different characters and the way she interacts with them and the way they all have um, their own agenda uh, mm -hmm. behind the main goal. Um, and and that's actually quite... You can relate to that. You can, mm -hmm. you can understand her, her fights. Uh, and also... Horses and unicorns. Yay! <laughs> right? Happy ending. Or at least in the chapter. No, I just, I just love horses. And I love mm -hmm. that in, in that case, I love that her horse um, has such an important role in the story. Right? And she acquired her a while ago in a, in a stream of events that, that I'm honestly not sure about. <laughs> right. Um, but a lot of things happen and, and she's still with that horse and... It, it is because because of the connection that that a lot of things are possible, and I find that um, that's always mm -hmm. the kind of little detail that I like in a in a story, just because I yeah I like horses and I I have a connection with them myself, so I I, I like when they are not just yeah things that vehicles. carry you. <laughs> They're not just vehicles. They're characters. Kelpie is pretty like rad. fighters. I guess for me this I actually really really like this chapter and I guess for as difficult as it was for some people I mean I guess considering that she spent the entire last book like in slavery and in and watching all her friends get killed in front of her and like being forced to kill people in like slave gallery, you know, in, in the, in the gladiator missions and all that stuff. Like to me, yeah, this is crappy, but it's a step up from the last book. <laughs> I mean, I hate to say it, but right. I mean, so, I mean, I felt like the, I felt like her job in this one was a lot of plot driven in that we get to see that, you know, what, what she was, you know, the prophecy and what she was expected to do. And we get to see factions that we didn't know existed. And I really liked all the twists and turns in her story in this. She's being sent to, she first has this destiny and then, you know, she meets the guy she's supposed to meet. And at first she expects he's going to be hot. And then she thinks he's going to be this ugly fat guy. And then, and then he turns out to be not bad. And then we don't know, we don't really get his point of view, but I get the feeling that he's in kind of the same position she is in that he's like, yeah, I've been told I have to do this for my destiny. So I guess I have to. And he's really not kind. He's kind of not into it. But he kind of has to because that's destiny and my role and fate and all that sort of stuff. And again, it's, it's you know, a lot of Sapkowski going against the tropes and the rituals of the genre. And, and I liked it a lot. And then, of course, it turns out someone else is trying to take him and then he gets killed and all that. And, and there's some really neat twists I like. And then just as you get through all the kind of the crappy stuff, like unicorns are here to save the day. We've got unicorns and rainbows and we can all be happy, <laughs> you know. And and they're like the freedom fighters, which is kind of cool. A nice little twist here. And they help her escape, and and she does. And you know, and then the little bit of kindness that she did a few books back comes back to really help her. You know, when you talk about the connection she has with her horse, well, she has two really. I mean, you know, she has Kelpie, and then she has the unnamed unicorn. I'm not little horse. I'm not going to try to, I'm not going to try to pronounce. But <laughs> this little connection she formed by helping someone in need will you know, in many ways change the universe, or at least change her life. Yeah, maybe, Bing, you can answer this about uh, Oberon. Is it is he Laura Dorn's father? Is that the connection? 
No. No. I feel like I looked this up on the wiki and was like, oh shit, they might actually be like related, <laughs> and that might like be why that he's having oh. such troubles. Alberon, let's see, Witcher wiki. <laughs> oh, they actually. I'm looking at it right now. Apparently, he is. I didn't notice. That. Right. I didn't remember that. Where did that come out in yeah, the books? I, I don't know. I don't think it's in the books. It might. Them actually might be like extra lore or something. Right, maybe it's from the game yeah. somewhere, or who knows? Yeah. I mean, what's it? Yeah. I mean, Anyway, it's not um, in the novel, so that's, like, extra canon. Um, right, right. But yeah, it does seem like he's... It's hard to feel... Like, obviously, he doesn't want to do it either, but it's it's right. it's hard to feel sorry for him when he has so much contempt for her and such... Like, when he tears into her, it's so vicious. And what does he call her? Like, a, a pearl ring on a corpse's finger? Like, <laughs> just so awful. And I do think, like, it's it's a very compelling read and just that... She's at first extremely resistant, but as she realizes there's no escape, she, she's like, okay, maybe I can just get it over with. And then it's like she's sort of – they're sending her a lot of mixed messages because it's like they, they're keeping her against her will. But at the same time, like they're tree, they're giving her good food and giving her nice clothes and treating her like she's you know very important and making these promises. Mm-hmm. It's 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 a more sly kind of evil than yeah. than like the brutal honesty of being made to fight in a in right, an right, arena. Right. <laughs> yeah. What did you did you think yeah. that how did like what the hell happens with Oberyn at the end? Because he overdoses on whatever the hell that yeah like is it I like mean, did he kill himself or did like was he poisoned? Because Aridin seems very shocked when she tells him that yeah that's the only part i understand is why he's surprised because i mean it feels like he's telling her hey i've got poison here give this to him and we'll all be happy and then you know the next thing time you see him he's been poisoned by that exact same syrup that's that same you know whatever and i mean it, i would just assume that it was him right and yet he's surprised by it so is he acting is he faking it or did someone else do it I mean, I don't know if we'll ever get the answer to that or if we're supposed to or if it matters, but it's kind of a weird twist that he, he kind of is surprised by it. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know either. And yeah, that's the one like that's just like, weird. Yeah, his surprise is very just like, I don't I don't know. There's, so, there's a plot here that's like not exposed. Can I ask without spoilers, does does this get brought up again in the rest of the book without saying how it's resolved? No. So so we don't actually know. So it's a weird twist that the guy who is planning to kill, like, the king may not have done it, but someone did using his poison. Like, <laughs> it's kind of weird that you wouldn't reveal that. But, yeah. <laughs> again, going against the tropes. That's something, a major plot point. You'd think killing, you know, the king or whatever would be a major, like, plot development that would be the mystery of a book and a half, and we would get a big, a big deal of it, but it's just sort of... Let go. They don't really matter, right? Right, right. exactly. Yeah. In, in this, exactly. Because uh, again, that, it's all yeah. about the three of that, you know, the the three or four main yeah. characters we've got. And once she's escaped, like we Who don't cares? care, right. and yeah, right. they're not really part of of the world we we care about. It does make me feel like it's something that you said earlier, David, which is like her her act of kindness is what saves her in this chapter mm-hmm. and that she saved the little horse in the desert. Mm-hmm. Um, it just like serious, like she's been through some shit and she's done some terrible things, but she's still 
a, like she's a kind child at heart right. who wants she mm-hmm. wants to return to her loved ones and so it's very right. brutal how like nobody really like even the unicorns are like we're helping you because we don't right. want our enemies to right. to get the power and it's like it's strategic when they first, yeah it's like when when they first arrive you're like oh the unicorns are good and wise of course they'd want to save this child in in trouble but it's yeah as you said it's it's a tactical decision right. although little horse convinces them so yeah somewhat yeah. <laughs> and and remember when we talk about her being good remember she's given the opportunity to poison the king and get out of it and you know i mean whether she'd get out of it we don't know but she's given the opportunity to do something bad and she doesn't and it might have helped her to do so so that's good what do you make of um avalok because like i feel very biased because like he's a character who shows up in other media yeah. but like his motivations for me are just like, like is he good? <laughs> Not good, like well, relatively good. Like at least like more slightly benevolent. Like I'm saying this through gritted teeth because they are they're all terrible. No. No. Well, so first of all, this Avalok is a very different character than one that shows up in other media, right? Right. Uh, it's a very different type of character. This this one is a much more spiteful character i should have to say mm. uh and much more emotional character uh than, than the one that show up in i mean you just say in, in the games right uh, my reaction towards avalog especially this chapter is that he, he's just a i mean he's not i mean he's not like a monster like i don't know bonhart but he, he is he is an asshole yeah um, and he's trying to and he's trying to manipulate everything for his is some in the end something that's very very personal and petty. Yeah, and he disappears on her like after she has her meltdown in the bedroom. He just like he doesn't <laughs> apparently just doesn't want anything to do with her. These elves yeah, suck. Ultimately, he, these elves do suck, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, so and like Avalok, ultimately he is just kind of a coward. Mm-hmm. A right. coward with a, a grudge. Uh, yeah, like he's trying to. He does. He he can't. Like he doesn't want to actually just do the do do what he wants to do himself. He's trying to like trying to do this. I don't know. This 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 galaxy brain plot to try to basically get uh to try to fulfill some sort of personal grudge and and then the moment it falls apart, he runs away. It's mm-hmm. just I don't know. Avalok's an asshole. <laughs> All right. It is weird to see him again so soon, since it seemed like he was just going to be like, you know, the the like prophet character in the last book, and now right. like, now he's actively taking an active role in it. So it then you know it it also probably puts some aspersions on his motivations in the last book into what he told Geralt. You know, where he basically said, "Don't worry about Geralt. What's going to happen is going to happen." And then here he is in this book, like actively trying to make things happen. So it's kind of an interesting switch up in what the character's motivations and what he's doing. Okay. Yeah, I think again this whole this whole chapter is is again I mean and everything that's because we have been doing up to this point has been sort of subverting expectations, right? And the expectation coming, in, especially from coming in from Lord of the Rings about elves, this, mm-hmm. this high, haughty people, but ultimately they know the best 
in the end, what we find out about these elves is that, that the world that they created, as it seems like some sort of weird paradise, but ultimately it's completely sterile. It has all these right. hidden, horrible hidden secrets. And then all the people, they claim that they're wiser, smarter than everybody than all other living being and ultimately they are just as petty and shitty as mm-hmm. everybody else and the, so the theme right. of par- beautiful places that are in fact cages is something mm-hmm. that comes up in an, another yeah. place in this mm-hmm. book right. yes. one, one so, thing I liked was Ciri's thought when she first before she discovers that they're human but when she finds that you know that that other race of elves are like they're serving people when she makes a little you know comment about how gee even in this world like we have to find a people to like make our slaves and our servants you know I thought that was an interesting like commentary about on humanity and you know and things like that so I thought that was a nice little twist there Somebody has to cook the food. Yep. Clean but up the tables. It, but what's interesting is that there's like a race that's completely devoted to this, or we've made them devoted to that. Like it's yeah. not just that you know people mm-hmm. choose that. It's like we put a group of people because of who they are and how they're born into this position. It's it's a nice. It's one that's of the familiar. many like nice little things that aren't a major plot point, but that. But that Sapkowski sticks in there to have a little like pseudo political commentary or social commentary. Yeah, I liked it. The last thing I will say is that I found the it's a, something that gets said to Siri over and over because she feels so trapped, and it's like she hears it in a dream, and the unicorn say it as well is that you cannot be imprisoned, and just like like that right. line I felt like was just very intensely powerful because it's true. She just doesn't she doesn't know how to reach it. Right. Until the very end. Should we go to Toussaint? <laughs> All right. So the I hope, so. Should I just do the two chapters together since they're pretty sure. much yeah, closely yeah, connected? So. Okay. So chapters three and four uh, in Toussaint. Since we last saw him, Gerald had an unfortunate encounter with the Druids uh, within the borders of Toussaint, which he was able to come out from eventually um, and actually. Re- all of his party mostly recovered, but so they were invited <coughs> as a guest to at the court of of uh, Beauclair by uh, Duchess Anna Anietta. And thanks to the fact that he has now fully uh, accepted, fully uh, accepted Dandelion. Uh, right. What's his phone name again? I never remember his phone name. Whatever. Um, <laughs> into her arms. Now she has become his little weasel. <laughs> thanks. I um, love that image well, of him as Little Weasel, sorry. <laughs> her as Little Weasel. I'm here. Um, so uh, while, while they were there, basically in this bizarre fairy tale version of Paris, <laughs> of our uh, party kind of get lulled into this sort of stupor. Uh, mm-hmm. Gerald falls in love, question mark, or actually just sort of found a surrogate to uh, Jennifer in uh, in the, the, the sorceress. Uh, Fingilla Vigo, and as it turns out, uh, Fingilla is only interested in Gerald because she has been assigned by the, right. the, the council of, uh, by the, 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 the sources launch, engaging relationship in order to get uh, the information of where Dog Force and Jennifer are, uh, Gerald. And also to Stalin, um, uh, too. <laughs> yeah, to Stalin, yeah. Uh, and, and, and for several months, they were successful. Geralt basically does two things in in, in, uh, in Tucson. He hunts monsters, and for 
very little purpose um, <laughs> other than sort of having something to do, to do and, and he has sex with Fangilla uh, while screaming Jennifer's name. <laughs> right? right? <laughs> How insulting is There's that? Also, <laughs> uh, we realize what Sapkowski's the most uh, erotic dreams uh, look like they, there seem to be a lot of books involved right <laughs> that um, was a great scene <laughs> go that was a great scene um but finally uh on in one of these hunts Daryl fun accidentally uh bumps into a secret <laughs> meeting between stefan skellen and four different guardian nobles who are plotting to assassinate uh, emperor uh, em- emir em- emperor emir and then he immediately charges back having regained uh, after uh, learning from these uh, conspirators exactly where Velgaforts is and the fact that uh, Yennefer is still alive, he immediately uh, rushes back to Beauclair, uh, calls his party back into action, and they set off for Castle Steep. Meanwhile, giving uh, Vigella false information and leading the, 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 the Sorcerer's Lodge to a uh, different castle. Which I didn't get at the time. But <laughs> Quick question. Is Beauclair enchanted. There is, I mean, maybe it's just like a super nice place, but mm-hmm. <laughs> it just right. seems like that there's enough, like, the, they, like yes. it's mentioned a few times that there's like something in the air that makes people sort of lose sight of their purpose and, right. and drink a lot of wine and like futz around. Or it could yeah, be the wine. So, maybe uh, it's just the wine. <laughs> yeah. It could just be, I mean, I think a lot of it is just sort of the, the wine and, and what, uh, Toussaint is to this weird vassal state that uh, that because of the clo- their close relationship with the the, the, the imperial line of um, of Nelfgaard, that the Nelfgaard just kind of leave them alone. Mm-hmm. But there is definitely also some, some weird magic going on. I think Fingella Vigo suggested it that uh, her uh, I forgot it was her father or uncle used to serve as the court mage in Toussaint, right. and he has done some weird illusionary shit. That there's, a, mm-hmm. there's some weird hidden tunnels and all of that, right? Mm. Yeah, I mean, it feels like the stereotypical fantasy story of the place that you go and, like, you stay there forever, you know, that you've seen in everything from the Iliad to everything in fantasy. Yeah, we're like the Odyssey, right? Right, I mean, I said Iliad, but I meant Odyssey, right? Yeah, yeah. It also seems seems like there's sort of an unspoken agreement by the powerful in this world that they kind of leave Tucson alone as, like, a, a place... Where it's kind of like their their collective vacation island almost. It's yeah. <laughs> a good yeah. place for spies, uh, right? Yeah, it's their it's their like yeah. Malta or their right. Um, yeah, it's like it's, a cross. Uh, it's like it, a cross. It nice wine. It's like a cross between like Ibiza and Switzerland. <laughs> yeah. Switzerland yeah. is a good yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or yeah, actually, Switzerland's a good good comparison. Yeah. Um, yeah, they are politically, it seems, very impotent, other than maybe in terms of being, uh, like, exporters of Est-Est. <laughs> I love that. That's what the wine is called. Right. Um, but, yeah, like, at one point, the Duchess is like, oh, someone write to the Emperor and tell him to end the war. Right. That was ridiculous. <laughs> I love that bit. Like, <laughs> Yeah. It promptly locks up the Chancellor. <laughs> right. Who didn't right. tell her. Yep. I mean... It like, seems like it, the it, entire city is about, like, deluding oneself, you know, into pretending there isn't a dangerous war coming, into pretending we can stay here even though Siri and Yennefer are, are, you know, in danger and all that sort of stuff. It seems like the entire city is in many ways like a happy trap, you know? 
and that's plot what it is, it's, but it's also what it is in that world too, you know? Yeah. It's it's something that the Nelf Guardians keep around just so just so they can get drunk and, and forget about the, the harsh reality of who they actually are. <laughs> so this I just need to announce if you're listening to this, please stop moving to Nashville. Like that's that's what my city has become. Right. People of <laughs> denial people who come down here and it's just an adult playground and that's fine. But then just don't move here after you do that. Thanks. Ooh, now I know where I want to go visit. <laughs> Sorry. I was amazed. I've never seen more honky tonks in a city's blocks than I than when I went to Nashville last. What was it? Two years now? I don't remember. Two summers ago. Yeah. Um, we're the two. We're the Tucson of America. <laughs> <laughs> Us in Vegas. I think I one of my one of my favorite parts of this chapter is that Geralt is on several occasions approached with the opportunity to, or he's hired basically to kill the succubus that is mm-hmm. tempting the chastity yes, of husbands. Yes, yes, I love that. <laughs> and old men keep coming up to him and being like, don't, don't kill the succubus. Don't, don't, we want the succubus around. She's hot he's and like, we get I the will, fuck. I will look the other way if you put a deposit in my bank account. <laughs> right, that was a bizarre subplot that I loved. <laughs> well, and then, and then wasn't... Regis, yeah, Regis is the one who actually calms her down, I guess, or gets her to stop tempting people. Does he, or does he just fuck her? (laughs) Is he fucking her along with all the other guys? Like, it feels like he's just like, well, you know, she's here, so I'm going to use it too. (laughs) Yeah. That maybe she, they were uh, like, together for a while so that, like, the heat, like, could die down, maybe. Yeah, he did, because Regis said that he needed to tell her goodbye. Mm -hmm. That seemed like a, a very important thing to do, so... I think there was more than just just physical. Mm. Vampire and a succubus. Aw. <laughs> Milva gets some action as well. That was right? I found that actually very sad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So she finds somebody who seems to understand her, but it is not to be. Well, that's no. that's the trick of this city, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Lure you did, in and it's... keep you there, but you know, maybe not. Maybe not so good for you. Does oh my gosh! Find, uh, sorry. Uh, does did anyone find Dandelion refusing to go along? Was anyone shocked by that? Because I was actually, I was expecting him at the end when they're leaving to yeah. actually, to have been like, I changed my mind, I'm coming along. But his actually saying goodbye was pretty confounding. Yeah, I mean, so I don't remember when I first read this, but knowing what happens in this reread, going what's going to happen, it makes sense there. <laughs> I, I don't know where it's going, but I, I don't know where it's going, but I feel like it, A, is completely a great subverting of the trope, you know, of the faithful sidekick, and B, is completely within his character. Like, you know, yes, we have this trope, and we've seen it in, you know, every other buddy, you know, story in fantasy, but it never made sense, and in this case... When it goes against it, it really, even though it's not what we expect or what we want, it completely makes sense. That's exactly what Dandelion would do, right? <laughs> it's, within his, it's within his character, and it's also understandable. There's, their mm-hmm. journey has gotten increasingly dangerous, and, right. I mean, he can't fight, really. Right, at all. <laughs> at all. He's a bard. <laughs> mm-hmm. We also, in these first few chapters, we learn that the 
that his memoirs that we thought were destroyed actually survived, right? Right. Well, a hundred years, what is it, half a century uh, it's, of poetry? It's, it's not yeah. clear to me. Like, we get quotes from it, so presumably it has survived, but we saw it destroyed, so I'm not clear where they're going with that. Like, maybe they, I don't know. Well, we saw a copy of it that a Redanian knight had. Oh, that's true. Rivian. Was it Redanian or Rivian? But, so I guess maybe we learned that a copy got destroyed okay. centuries later, but it turns out that it appears to have actually survived, which is Oh, yeah, is nice. I totally forgot about that. Yeah, because I was mad when I saw it got destroyed. I was like, right. you, why? Why are you even doing this to me? That you <laughs> introduce this cool manuscript, and this is how the this story is going to get told down the road, and then destroy it. And it's just you're just being mean. Oh, I thought that was a great. I, I thought it was a great. Alan I thought the twist that that it got destroyed was really great because it meant that everything he tried to do to chronicle it meant nothing. So I like that twist. And now it turned out that that's not true. So hey, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it'll become true again. You know, who knows. Whatever so, Adrian wants to do. So I have a question for everyone. Do you feel that Fringilla was just doing a like a, a job, or do you think she really fell for him in the process of it, or maybe somewhere in between? I always I think, think she, it's in between. Yeah, I thought she was it, genuine. Yeah. I, I felt like her desperation for him not to leave was like that was a disintegration of pride that mm-hmm. felt very real. Mm-hmm. Like, obviously, she was still working for the Lodge, but, like, I don't know. I, I I never really doubted her feelings for him at any point. I didn't until at the very end she, like, really pushed hard to get the information from him about where Yennefer was, like, and where Vigilforts was. Like, that's when I was like, okay, now I'm not so sure about this, you know? Well, I think she's 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 definitely there to do a job, and she, she, right. she, she still feels like she's doing a job, but that doesn't change the fact you also have feelings right. uh, uh, for, so for, for, for Geralt and, and it, it, yeah, yeah and it, well yeah and, and also the reason and the reason why Geralt was successfully able to deceive her I think was partly because she was enamored uh, otherwise I mean, Geralt is not exactly the world's most renowned liar right. uh, yeah, more... okay. so real quick no, no, in, in reading this chapter am I the only one that missed that he was lying to her or is it just that we discover it later when they go there and there's no one there like, was there anything, because they didn't tell us where he found out that was. When, when he was listening in he, on that conversation, they deliberately cut off, right, like mid-sentence when he's discovering that. There's a line when they're writing out, and he's talking to uh, Renard, who's, or Renard, he's the, the right. Toussaintian knight. <laughs> right. um, and he says that he had asked him about, I guess, abandoned castles or like a map that had castles on it. And that's like the hint that he had found, like... Like a, I guess, like maybe he had like gotten wise to something that was going on, but he anyway he had given a a false name. Okay. I totally missed it until like they went there and there was nothing and there was nothing there. Like I totally like where did how did I what what's going on here? <laughs> Frangilla Vigo, she smells like amber grease and roses, and I'm right. just realizing as we're reading that like all these sorceresses have two smells. Right. Like it's always like a yes. perfume and a flower. Mm-hmm. I'd like to think. Yep. So, like, David, what is your sorceress scent? <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> Whatever it is, it's probably something dirty. But <laughs> so I don't know. <laughs> I'm thinking mine would be like gardenia and 
Pepto Bismol. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> if I were to say anything, it it would be definitely very R or PG thirteen rated. I don't know. <laughs> I smell like my apartment. I haven't left for over a year. Oh my right? god! Right? Oh my god! Yeah. <laughs> ramen and light bulbs or like dead light bulbs one last thing about Toussaint that I have to say Mm -hmm. okay Uh, I do love the detail of when Geralt finds the surveillance station there's just a skeleton sitting in the chair it's like a freaking Skyrim cave right (laughs) like you find some poor asshole's lost corpse after his last mission right right it's just a funny little detail that whole section is so weird because we go from like you know, we go from this whole, like, you know, we're in a world of happy and fun to him going off and doing, like, Witcher missions for the first time in, like, what, four books now? You know? And and then suddenly, in, like, five pages, the entire book changes. It's so weird. Like, well, before that, though, we have, a, like, a moment where Gerald comes back and he's suddenly like, fuck, we're leaving! And we're reading it like, why? Weren't we just happy to just relax and fuck and be here for the next couple of months? And suddenly he's leaving, and then we get the story of why. And it's just so, it's such a like jarring, quick change of events in his life in a few pages, which which I liked. Well, he finds out that Yennefer is going right, to be right. used as a, as a right. cat's paw, right? No, that, no, that's clearly, like what, clearly. Yeah, what sets clearly him off. he finds, well, more importantly, he finds out she's even alive. He didn't believe she was, he didn't know she was alive before that. He, he refused to believe she was dead, but he wasn't sure. And we now know, he now knows, A, that she's alive, B, she's going to be used for crappy shit, and C, where she is. So obviously that changes everything. But it's funny how we go from this, like, you know, idyllic setting and relaxing, like, two chapters to, oh, shit, I got something to do here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well... Uh, but, that, but that's the that's the build up though, right? Because oh, the whole thing is it, it's it's completely illusionary, and the only reason why Tara is doing all of this is because he just was completely defeated. Right. Um, not only right. having believed that not only Jennifer is dead, uh, that Siri is not completely lost to him too, but also that uh, he lost his medallion, he, he lost so much of himself. Right. And and, and this is the, all of this past two chapter is actually just him coping. Until we finally found, we found, we discovered his purpose. And that's the point. This was right. always what was. And, and when he gets his purpose again, he has like this awesome like Witcher fight with like not just one but like yes. four different like monsters. It's like I'm back. You know, it's like the moment you're like he's back. We've got our we've got our girl back. You know. Okay. Oh, I think yeah, I remember. Very quick. Oh, the very quick Go side note. This this, this is very quickly. It's just okay. just to sort of bring in the the, the TV show a little bit. Sorry. Uh, first of all. Very, I guess, cute little side thing is that the actress for Tessia DeBreeze in the first in, in, in the first season is the, the same act, same voice actor for Anna Henrietta uh, in the video games. Oh. Uh, <laughs> from Vigo. and that I do want to show a point out very quickly. I think the TV show really, really got her wrong. As one of the, my biggest complaints about the the or the changes that they made, is going to have huge repercussions down the line. Because this the the Fringilla Vigo that we see in these chapters cannot be the same character as the, the one you see in the show. Mm. Did they make her like evil or something? Like they made her like some sort of the Nilf guard. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Some sort of almost like cultish devotion to Nelf Guard. Yeah, I couldn't tell who was who in the show, so but I hadn't read the books yet, so that's probably why. Alright, and that sorry. Okay. So, are we moving on? 
Yeah, I think so. Okay, you got it. so chapter six reacquaints us with Yara, who was studying to be a scribe at the temple of Melitela in a previous book. We find out that he's run away from the temple to join the army when Nenica refused to let let him join. Just do it anyways. Um, he runs across a group of bandits who try to rob him. When he tells them that he has nothing to rob, they say that they're going to rape him instead. Until one of the bandits named Melfi, who'd previously bullied him in their hometown, recognizes him and, and convinces the band to take him out for dinner and drinks instead. Huh? For some incomprehensible reason, Yara decides to join up with the bandits who just tried to rob and rape him, since they're claiming that the attempt was just a prank, and they're heading to Visma to join up with the army anyways. Again, huh? <laughs> Yara dreams about Geralt in a blizzard, Siri galloping home on Kelpie from the from the other universe she was in, and Triss, who he's dreamed about several times, leading him to do things he's ashamed of. <laughs> On the road, Yara seems surprised when the bandits talk about robbing everyone they, nearly everyone they come across. When they try to rob a merchant, Yara blocks them. They threaten to stab him when they're interrupted by two landsknechts, or mercenaries, <laughs> who, after warning Yara about the dangers of staying with people like the bandits, also incomprehensibly joins them on the journey, along with that merchant who they just tried to rob. <laughs> Maybe they're charismatic bandits? I don't know. I don't know why everyone decides to stay with these people who are clearly awful, but whatever. Um, they run into the free company on the road and are surprised that one regiment of which is headed up by a woman who's sexistly known as Pretty Kitty. Um, they intersect with another road full of troops, including a regiment of dwarfs, marching south to Visma for the fight. They arrive in Visma to a huge literal stink from the shit of the troops and flies that the shit brings. After talking about stealing horses, the bandits disappear, shockingly enough. Uh, one of the mercenaries recognizes a man who has been put in the stocks for sowing defeatism, which goes over the heads of the mercenaries who think it's a poison. <laughs> As the remaining group breaks up, the merchants gives gives Yara a gift of a magical locket that will make the weirds the wearer's beloved never forget him. Yara tells the merchant to write the name Cirilla on the papyrus in the locket. At the tavern where Yara is signing up for the army, he runs into a group of dwarves who treat him to dinner, including Dennis Cranmer, Zoltan Chevet, and yay, Yarpin Zigrin's back, briefly. Um, Dennis Kramer tells Yara that he knows about Yara's crush on Siri, then shows him some people who's been, who've been hung for sowing discontent about war as a warning. Cranmer also tells Yara that Tamari and Redania don't have the forces to stop the Nilfgaardians. Yara asks Cranmer if he can join his troop, but Dennis refuses because he knows that as dwarves, his troop will be sent to the places they're most likely to die. Racism is live and well in this world. Um, or speciesism, if you want to call it. Since he has no combat skills, Yara is assigned to the PFI. He runs into drunk Melfi again, who's left the group of bandits because they planned to steal a soldier's uniforms and horses and go to war in disguise. Shocking, right? When he gets to the PFI troops, he finds out that PFI stands for Poor Fucking Infantry. He's with the crappy one, soldiers. <laughs> um, Pike and the bandits try to rob slash con some hobbits and gets killed by them instead. Yes, we now have hobbits in these books. 
and that's Hobbits the end. slash halflings. Yeah. Right? You <laughs> already yes. did, actually. It's did not the already did, yeah. yeah. Okay, but... Yeah. It's yeah. In, back in the short stories. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> it was very jarring to see the word hobbit, though, because right? I think it's right? the first time I've seen that word in, the, in these books. It's always been halfling before. Right. Yeah, and that, that's a translation thing, I think. Right, maybe. <laughs> that scene was very satisfying, though. Mm-hmm. Because right. you totally think it's going to go one way, but it, <laughs> at the end, right. they're like, oh, where do we bury these <laughs> these porch mugs? So put them in the garden with the rest. Right, right. It's like, I don't understand, like, all through this chapter, I'm just like, everyone's just like stays with these people who've, who've openly admitted we want to do awful things to people. And at every moment, literally every moment they're around, they're talking about doing awful things to people. And then people are like, Oh, they're doing awful things. Why? Like, it's just so weird. I just thought it was because they were going in the same direction. Like, like, I get that, but you don't have to go with them. <laughs> well, it's safer with a group, <laughs> sort of. Okay. For, for Yara, that makes sense, makes sense. But what about the, like, yeah. the mercenaries? Why are they staying with them? Were they trying to watch over them, maybe? I don't know. I thought this they were is... just keeping an eye on them because they were opposed yeah, to, maybe. like, them trying to rob that merchant. Right. Well, why does the merchant stay with them? <laughs> like, these people were going to... Well, I guess he doesn't know so, they were going to rob them, so maybe. Other, other bandits were, are not, also not going to uh, now rob them, I guess. <laughs> I it's, know. yeah. It's just bizarre. I find it hard to, like... I find it just hard to relate to any of these characters. <laughs> right, right. Like, the, and, and do you really care about them at all? I don't know, sort of Yara, I guess, but I never really care about Yara anyway. Yeah, Yara's, like, okay, but as our POV character, but... Yeah, this is very much like checking in on the macro mm-hmm. situation in right. the world yeah. and like the movements of nations and armies right. that sort of taking place in the periphery. Um, I do like that Yara, like <laughs> his classist inclination where he's just like, oh, of course, I, I have a special unit. I can read runes. And right, write. right, right. <laughs> and instead, he's a fight assigned to the poor fucking infantry. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, those guys, uh, they they block well in Gwent or something like that. I don't know. They're in Gwent. That's the only thing I remember about them. <laughs> I, I love there's, there's a handful of good um, puns in this one, but I definitely like the when they're talking about the war to end all wars and they look over at one of the hookers and are like, but she's not the, the whore to end all whores. <laughs> <laughs> I like that, too. Like, it, there's, like, some, like... Like 1960s song lyrics sprinkled in this chapter in a few places. I think like is a graffiti on the wall. Yeah, it's, yeah, the graffiti is great. Yeah, it's just a very grim look at the military. Like the like just how ca- cavalier is not the right word, but just they don't care. Like there's this levy. Basically, it's a draft that's been implemented, and all these peasants are being picked up because I guess you need so many so many soldiers per, per square, whatever. Acreage or something, yeah. but the temples are exempt from it. It's it's just it's all it's terrible. <laughs> it's bad. Yeah, there's not like I don't have very strong opinions about this chapter. Um, where it goes, I think, is way more interesting later in the book. But yeah, uh, this is mostly just like a lot of names of troops, <laughs> like in commanders mm-hmm. and who's like, where they're going, and yeah. It's an interesting, like, combination, because on some level, it's the, you know, small folk chapter, right? Like, we get the, yeah. the view from the small folk, but at the same time, we get a lot of bigger picture, because let's face it, none mm-hmm. of the main characters are really directly involved in the war, which is, 
you know, generally what in fantasy is the big deal is the war. And none of our characters are directly involved with it, except for like at times, like Geralt gets in the middle of it. But, you know, so here we have here we have what's going on in the world and the import. I mean, you know, usually in any fantasy story, the war is the big deal. And yet, you know, we have to go to these other characters to kind of get what's going on with it. Well, that's 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 what I love about a Witcher, right? It mm-hmm. it, it, it emphasizes the small folk, that's, and, and 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 that's ultimately that's always the POV that, that it prioritizes. The the like in, like even in a song of ice fire, sometimes we do go like like uh, Arya, uh, Brienne chapters. You kind of see the you still don't see them from the perspective of the actual people, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I love that a Witcher just prioritizes these people. That this is their story. This is not the story of. John right. Talis or Menno Kuhorn, these, these, these army commanders or the, mm-hmm. the kings right. of Redania and the emperor of Nalfgaard. Right. Um, this is not their story. This is the story of the, 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 the outcasts of society, the, mm-hmm. the, the, the poor people. Yeah. Right. The, just the, the crimes for which the people were punished were right. like so authoritarian. Of, mm-hmm. Like, was the guy who was in the stocks like what he had cried when he took his son to be enlisted and right. for that like that wasn't patriotic enough so they he had to be like punished and the people who were hanged were hanged for what like spe- like saying like speaking out against like the lords or yeah. like one of them made a joke that was like what's right. a poleaxe it's it's a weapon that nobles use with they put like a peasant on both ends like right yeah <laughs> I love the I love the like them not understanding this sowing defeatism and they thought that that was like a, a crop and a poison <laughs> like, like that that was a cute little like a cute little moment i liked <laughs> yeah but you mentioned the moment with uh god which dwarf is it dennis <laughs> dennis yes. is that it yes he, he says uh he just has that sad moment where like he he's looking out for yara and telling him you know you don't want to be part of yes. my company because yes. but he doesn't tell him yeah, but he doesn't tell like, him why he just thinks it which is yeah the dwarves are always the best people <laughs> these books. Yep, they're the best. So yeah, we get Yarpin Zigrin back, and I was like waiting for like some big moment, and it doesn't happen. So I'm hoping we'll get more of him yet. at some point. But <laughs> there's some more Yarpin. I'm, I'm hoping because like literally, like here here he is, and he does like literally nothing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah, they're going to get he doesn't even give me a good quote to post on Facebook. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's these stories are full of, and the dwarves more than just about anybody. They're so good at like, here's a paragraph you can right. post about right. how to make the world better. Mm-hmm. I've seen your posts. <laughs> yeah. Like, hey, I don't even have to pontificate. Someone else is doing it for me. Right. <laughs> I did think this was a nice kind of backdrop chapter. It was just interesting to see the depths that these places have gone to because of this war. It really is just because one dude wants to rule everything and have an empire he's really proud of that there's this much misery in the world. It felt a bit throwback to Baptism of Fire, maybe from that standpoint. But it's good that I think it's good that there's constant reminders of that that there's a price for all of the things that we see with people doing. yeah the price of one dude calling himself 
the white flame that dances on the barrows of his enemies. <laughs> Why would there be consequences to that? <laughs> know, that's a lot of ego. <laughs> From their perspective, all of them are assholes. Right. The, yeah. the Northern Kingdoms, they're not that much better. And I feel like sometimes, and, and sorry to get a little bit so boxy here, I think sometimes uh, the Witcher fandom like focuses too much on sort of the, the big political mm-hmm. things, but that has never been what the books are about. Right, right. Pretty clearly, yeah. That might be like a and kind of, of the games more than the books, I think. Right. No, that, this is what I blame the second game for the most, and why ultimately I didn't really like the second game that much. Okay. You didn't like Assassins of Kings? Right. That, like, Why would that be political? Later, that Why title that... still drives me insane. <laughs> Why would yes. that be political? <laughs> For me to, br- to bring up the th- point that I've made in almost every podcast we've had about the books, there seems to be a trope I've used of him refer- using one name to refer to a person or a group of people. It happens a lot more in this book. The most notable one is the lands connects or the mercenaries but there's a bunch of them in this book i noticed but he didn't do it as like extremely as he did in the previous books where we got like 14 mentions in three pages like he's a little more subtle about it so he seems to be i think getting more into the rhythm of writing his books and using his tropes a little more subtly instead of more blatantly so i like that (laughs) he does enjoy his repetition yep yeah. So Lance, so again, I, I can't pronounce this either, but right. Nang Lance next or whatever. Right. It's a real thing. It's a, no, no, I get it. Yep, yep, absolutely. Like, yeah, they, they were like real German like mercenary soldiers right. or whatever. Uh, I googled it too. I think, I think, <laughs> and I think they, he just really likes that, that title. Right. <laughs> just borrowed it in. It's just interesting though that like so many times he like comes up with one word or two or three word phrase for a character and then repeats it over and over and over again. And this time he managed to keep it to a minimum that it wasn't jarring. I mean, I probably noticed it more because I've been talking about it in every fucking podcast, but, you know, but, but he, he, and he did it. He didn't do it just once or twice in this book. He did it probably like five or six times or maybe eight or maybe more, but, but it seemed more natural, which is good. <laughs> I think he just gets tired of inventing fantasy names. Maybe. <laughs> Yeah, has to get old. I mean, at this right. point, he's just borrowing others. <laughs> Literally, in some cases. Yeah, Bar- borrowing Galahad, whole characters. That works. Bar- borrowing whole characters. I mean, <laughs> I mean, hey, nobody's got a copyright on King Arthur. Right. I mean, it's it's clearly That's not the just the name Galahad. I mean, we get Arthur, he gets other mentions, so it's meant to be yeah. the whole mythology in there. <laughs> yeah, it's that it's that world. It's Siri literally traveled to that world. Right. Which is really cool, I've got to say. As a nerd, I'm like, all for it. <laughs> Siri's supposed to be in Cyberpunk 2070. <laughs> Whatever. Is she? But that game bumped. Well, she, she went to that world. What else would she do? I mean... Wait, she was actually in Cyberpunk 77? Uh, well, she mentioned in The Witcher Street that she went to the, the cyberpunk world. <laughs> oh, I thought you meant she made like, a cameo in that game. Oh, no, she, no, 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 she didn't. No. But that no, would be cool. That would be cool. Yeah. Well, we've talked, we've talked about Siri dealing with some 
Elves, we talked about Toussaint, and Geralt, a little bit of Yen sprinkled in. Um, <laughs> yeah, there hasn't been a ton yet. We hope she's okay. Um, and If anything, in this our, book, she gets talked about more than she actually does anything. <laughs> yeah. This half. This half. Our eyes into the, the Nordling Nilfgaardian conflict through Jari, Yari, Yara, however his name's pronounced. So, do we have other kind of thoughts on this half of the book, or? I'm excited for the second half. I, I was just going to say. It's crazy. I don't know that it's going to get yeah. crazy, but I feel like it's going to, and I'm excited to see it happen for the first time. <laughs> hmm. yes, it's the first out there. <laughs> it feels weird to me that, like, we are half a book away from the finale of, like, a five-book series and seven if you count the prequels. And, like, for half the book, it feels like we're still treading water. And it's inter- it's going to be interesting to see how, with half a book to go, we wrap up everything we've built up for, like, all this time, for seven books. So I'll be interested to see how he does it. And I'm hoping he does it well. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I agree with that. It's sort of... In a lot of ways, a lot's happened, but then in other ways, I'm like, it does feel like things are not that fundamentally different from the start of the novels in some ways, but maybe that's kind of the whole point. Yep. Well, I mean, Siri is pretty different, but I think everything yeah. else is pretty, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Same, same jerks fighting one another. I mean, Ciri's definitely gone through a journey, and she's become a warrior. But and she's now discovered her powers, which is important. But like, I mean, and I guess Yennefer. I mean, Yennefer is kind of where she was, but and I guess Geralt is kind of like now kind of giving up. Well, he seemed like he was giving up on his witchery kind of stuff, but then he just spent a whole chapter witchering, so maybe not. <laughs> he does say yeah, that. No. Uh... He doesn't. He he muses that he doesn't really know how to make money any other way. Right. That he doesn't really know what he would do with himself. If he didn't have this. Yeah. Yeah. But at the same time, he spends a whole chapter fucking witchering. So. Yeah. He said it's like he says it's reflexive. Even like someone's like, I have a right. monster in my cellar. He's like, I'm your man. Okay. Pay me. I guess I'm here. <laughs> give me money. <laughs> or better yet, I'm not gonna do it. Pay me anyways. Like with. <laughs> <laughs> Put it in my retirement fund. Right. <laughs> well, he was still solving their problem. Even if he wasn't murdering the succubus. Alright. You almost have to wonder, did he have like a deal with his vampire friend? Like, hey, you take care of her and I'll get the money for it. <laughs> I can get something out of it, right? Right, yeah. you, you'll you'll both get something. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, Geralt's uh, money is Regis's too. You know, yeah. they travel theoretically. As a group. Theoretically, yeah. They could use it to open Angolin's brothel. There you go. <laughs> yeah. I do enjoy the how like single-minded that girl is, where she's just like, "There's no good brothels about here. We could stay, open right. a whorehouse." Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, what else would she know? I mean, you know. 
She is a simple character. There's not a lot of depth there. <laughs> yes. That's a good perspective, I think. Right. You have a lot of uh, very emo guys in that group. Right. I mean, if you think about it, like, I'm going to open my own brothel is, is really, really, like, a lot of ambition for a girl in this world, you know, a young she's woman. She's a businesswoman. Right. Like she, yes. she has ambition and she, and she, she tries to make it happen. And that's, not, you know, would anyone else in her position in like the real world have, have done that much? Probably not. Or tried to No. So, Haven't okay. we all tried to open a brothel at some point in our twenties? No. All right, folks. Yep. <laughs> yep, I know. We're running out of stuff to say, but it was fun. Yeah, still, we're, it's still fun. Yeah. And that's all that matters. <laughs> Are there other podcasts anybody wants to plug? They're still Well, if Marie was still here, she'd be pushing her reread of the books of The Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings. So. <laughs> we now know that later this year we're going to get the new season, so yeah. we can, we can yeah. talk about it then. Maybe Maybe that'll be our next podcast after the books end. Yeah. How is um, the show? It's okay. Yeah, it's I I liked it pretty well. I think Henry I Cavill like Geralt is right up his alley. Yeah. I feel like I need to rewatch it before the next season because like I watched it as I was reading and didn't quite understand as much because a lot of the stuff was still like like a lot of the a lot of the sorceresses were from the future of the books. And I didn't know who they were, so I wasn't really getting everything that was going on, especially in the Battle of Sodden Hill there. But so I feel like I, feel, I didn't get the little yeah. details we were supposed to. Sorry. I feel like they took the series in certain directions that are questionable, especially with Nilfgaard. Uh At the very least, it's going to be very, very different than what the books are, uh, especially uh, Kahir and uh, and Vangela. And I wonder how they're going to make people sympathize with these characters. What did they do to Kahir? Did they make him an asshole? There was some weird stuff involving Doppler's man. Oh. Yeah, yeah, that was weird. Oh, yeah. Thanks, everyone, for listening. This has been our coverage of the first six chapters, or 43%, uh, (laughs) of Lady of the Lake, the fifth novel in the Witcher Saga by Andrzej Sapkowski or Alan or Adam or Adrian depends on if he's made you mad whether you change his name or not yo Adrian <laughs> thanks to my fellow hosts David, Bing, Katie and Marie had to drop off so thanks everyone and have a great day we'll see you in a few weeks for the second half and thank bye. you Kevin yeah. thanks. thanks everyone bye yeah okay.